Hey, Rebecca. Hey, JB. Let's talk about today's episode. Okay, what do you want to say? Today's episode is all about what it means to be first at something. So our guest is a barrier breaker, and barrier breakers get a lot of attention and we celebrate them. But being the first at something can also be challenging because when you break through this barrier, the number of other people who have shared a similar experience to you equals exactly zero. And the only way that you can find other people to share this kind of experience with you is to help more of them break through the same barrier. And so if you can relate to this idea, then today's show is for you. Uh, yes, I totally can relate to this, and I'm so excited for the show. Today's guest is Valerie Oberly, former executive at the Walt Disney Company, and we're going to learn more about her greatest adversity, her greatest accomplishment, her best advice for leaders, and what it means to be first. So stay with us. Welcome. I'm your host, JB Adams. And I'm your host, Rebecca Morgan. In this series, we bring you conversations with experienced leaders. Because a leader is anyone who influences change, we want to understand not just what leaders do, but who they are and how they can be effective in a rapidly changing world. We hope you'll learn some things about our guests, about our topic, and also about yourself. This is Leadership Life Stories. You can find episodes of this and all other Victor Media Group shows on our website at victormediagroup.co. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and connect with us on your favorite social media platform. We'll be right back after this important message. Well, hi there, listeners. It's Rebecca Morgan. If you told my younger self you are going to love talking about leadership, and when you grow up, you will lead hundreds and develop thousands of managers and leaders and create great places to work, I would have laughed at the idea because I was focused on becoming a dolphin trainer. Yeah, while I still love dolphins, what I really love to do is leadership development. So much so that I created the Awesome Leader League, the ultimate collection of people-centered leadership skills to help you be a better leader. If you're looking for ways to become more confident in an effective people-centered leader that people will trip over their own feet to follow, this is your resource. And did I mention we do it in 20 minutes or less? Join us now at theawesomeleaderleague.com. Welcome to Leadership Life Stories. I'm JB Adams and my co-host is Rebecca Morgan. This season of Leadership Life Stories is focused on examining Disney leadership as the Walt Disney World Resort celebrates its 50th anniversary. This is part two of a two-part interview with Valerie Oberly, former executive at the Walt Disney World Resort. She holds the distinction of being the first female executive in the Walt Disney Parks organization, and she was the vice president at the Disney University and at Disney Institute before leaving the company in 1997. She currently serves as the CEO of the Oberly Group, where she and her husband Spencer provide advice and consulting to business leaders to help them implement strategies to ensure a culture of excellence. This segment is called The Greatest Adversity, and it lets us acknowledge that leaders are human, that everyone has adversity, and it's how you choose to get through the adversity that makes you a leader. Yes, and Valerie Oberly told us that her greatest adversity came during the time when she was promoted to become the first female executive at Disney Parks. Let's keep in mind that this promotion took place in 1985, when female executives were pretty rare. Before we get to the adversity, we're going to start with how she felt when she got the promotion. Here's Valerie Oberly. It was uh, quite a shock to me when I got called in and was promoted and handed my 
pink status sheet that said I was getting a raise, which was nice. But I just marveled at me achieving that level because I started with a company in a typist position answering guest mail and really wanted to go to nursing school, but got hooked on the Disney philosophy and culture and met so many wonderful people. So for me to get that promotion was huge. It was, it was really a big thing for me. And I felt particularly in the way that I needed to handle that role and set the example for other women in the company. The men at Disneyland grew up with Walt. So they grew up and got promoted. There were a few female managers at Disneyland and I, I knew who they were at that time and worked with some of them. And at Walt Disney World, we did have a few female managers. There were a couple in resorts that were hired from outside from hospitality schools. So there was a small group of us that were female managers. I want to say between parks and resorts, maybe 10 or 12. And we used to get together for lunch once in a while and just, you know, talk about what that was like. And I was promoted in 1985. And at that time, women were just beginning to move up in the ranks and men were, you know, admittedly rather skeptical about it. I was also seven months pregnant with our first son. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So what I did hear in the hallways when there were group gatherings, the the skeptical men in the group, Mm -hmm. oh, she's pregnant. And Mm -hmm. I was very obviously pregnant. And she'll probably just have her baby and stay home like women should. There were some of those comments. Mm. And of course, what I did is like, okay, watch me. No, watch (laughs) me. That put a a huge sense of responsibility on me and challenged me, which I love. That's my nature. Give me a challenge. Let me figure it out. And, you know, I'll figure out how to do it. So I stepped it up, if you will. I made sure that I tried to be the best role model as a woman. And I never wanted to be like one of the guys or, you know, never talked like them, was trying to act like them. I wanted to be feminine and a mother and wife and role model in all the things that I was doing. So I've always set very, very high goals for myself and high expectations. That's just my nature, but it worked. So you mentioned that you had a group of women who were very supportive that were managers as well, that you would meet for lunch. Did you find that was common back in the day that women were supportive of women? Because I'll be honest, in my time, women were not always the most supportive of other women because we would see, this is my perspective on it, we would see that there's only so many positions at certain levels. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of like that you know, mean girls kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not good enough. I'm not good enough. It's kind of was this competition. Did you feel that back then or? Sure. Absolutely, Rebecca. There was a little bit of that because we were such a small group. We were generally supportive of each other. But I remember us talking about that competition and what we wanted to have as a foundation of our group. Men went golfing together. That's how they did their kibitzing and chatting and talking. That was kind of their platform. And they might have gone to breakfast or lunch or something together. Um, And I did have one guy say, well, you women get together for lunch. We men said, you men can do the same thing. Anybody can. This is, you know, it's a support network. Uh, But I think because we were so early in the process, there was more support. 
as we grew, as more women moved into executive positions, then it did become more competitive. I absolutely felt that. And we knew we were not only in competition for jobs that females might get, but males might get. So, you know, then, then you really start kind of playing it back and forth. And for me personally, that raises the bar again. Okay. Be your best, do your best, be your best and um, do it with integrity. Don't stab anybody in the back. It's not worth it. It comes back to get you. I totally believe in karma. <laughs> and it does <laughs> it does come around. Not to say that oh, I didn't make mistakes. Oh my gosh. Um, I made many mistakes, but I always tried to learn from my mistakes and admit them, you know, be honest about it. Say, okay, all right, what did, what did we do? And what did I do? And how can we make this a better situation? And what can we learn from it? Tell us about the adversity. Well, I'll have to admit the men didn't really know how to deal with women in higher level positions because they were used to being the boss over them. So there was a change that the company had to go through and that I had to go through, but I had to maintain strength and be a woman and not back down when I felt like I was maybe being treated unfairly being minimized in some way, I, I had to learn how not to back down from that, not become a about it or a crank about that, um, but to stand strong. And that was, that was one of my biggest challenges is to just stay strong, but do things the right way to set a good example as a woman. Okay, Valerie, can you give us a little insight into what was challenging about it? I think it was some of the comments that were actually made. Um, I think they knew I heard, but I think some of them, and I can think of a couple in particular, that wanted me to hear that they did not think that I was worthy of that promotion. And, you know, I didn't have a training and development background. I'd learned some about it when I was in resorts, HRD, but they felt like I wasn't qualified for the job that I was doing or that I'd been given to do. And even though so many of them had grown up in the company as well, and we were many of us given opportunities to do things that we didn't have a clue about, and we applied our skills and we learned as much as we could and you know, made mistakes and learned from them. But the, it was how I was treated, actually. Never abusive or some divisiveness, but uh, it was still... You felt it. I definitely felt it. You describe a very challenging situation, but I'm curious, um, beyond the comments, what's an example of this kind of mistreatment that you faced? Well, there was a rather degrading moment that occurred after I'd been promoted to vice president and was sitting in our executive team meeting in HR the secretary was not there to take the notes, but someone in the group asked me to take notes and get the coffee. And that, after some of the things I'd already heard from a couple of people, I just thought, there is no way in heck I'm going to do that. That would be caving into exactly what they were trying to do to in intimidate me. So I just said, oh, no, thanks. I'm not drinking coffee today. And yes, just kept good. taking my notes. I didn't have to be rude or nasty, just a no thanks. So that was part of what I experienced in that diversity. 
Um, I think some of it was jealousy. Um, but I mean, there were others that were wonderful and supportive, but it did help me be tougher. It really did. You said you were promoted into an executive role in 1985, and then you were promoted to VP a year later. So from your point of view, do you think the Disney company was ahead of the curve or behind the times when it comes to putting women in leadership? Um, I really think that we were a little behind the times at that time. Mm -hmm. And the reason is we were 99% promotion from within. You had to prove yourself in a variety of different roles to be promoted. That, that was the norm. Until the late 80s, when we started bringing new hires in and management positions from the outside, it was a grow from within company. So when we had to put in place all of our goals, our EEOC goals, and start broadening our perspectives, that happened because other companies were doing that as well. So at first, I think we were behind the times. I would say now, and even before I left, we not only caught up, but I think we became a little bit ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. And with all of the concern going on in the world about inclusion, and I've talked with a number of, of my colleagues from those early days, we didn't feel that it was that big of an issue because we all grew up with uh, 43 different nationalities represented in the parks and resorts and all the different cultures and colors and you know the men and women thing we finally got past some of that but we just kind of grew up with that and we didn't think twice about it really so I think we were ahead of it and once we got to that point, then we kind of moved ahead of that curve. That that would be my perspective. And Valerie, I just want to ask this. Um, and this is two sensitive people interviewing another sensitive person. What advice would you give to a sensitive person who's newly promoted and feels kind of alone or like they're being picked on? Good question, JB. I think you have to... Um, kind of dial down your sensitivity. Um, not say, oh, they're picking on me or it's only because I'm a woman or I'm a Canadian or I'm this, that, or the other. Dial that down and be able to look in the mirror and ask yourself the question, okay, how are others seeing me? What kind of job am I doing? Am I you know, taking good care of my people? What about my children? What about my husband? What about the rest of my family, my, my best friends? How am I taking care of them? And how do they perceive me? So if I feel like, gee, I might be picked on because I'm a woman or um, yeah, a Canadian or whatever, then it behooves me to take the first step, to not let people intimidate me. People can only intimidate you if you let them intimidate you so if you kind of build that strength up you say you know i'm just going to let that one roll uh, you know i'm not going to worry about that i've got bigger things to worry about so but i think it is um strengthening yourself but knowing who you are and what you're really good at doing and listening 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 at the same time if somebody's insulting to you I always say, take the high road, but there are times 
when it's not take the low road, punch them in the nose, but it's kind of not let them get away with that, but do it privately and let them know how they made you feel. Not you're a jerk and you said all these nasty things, but this is how you made me feel. One other thing to add to that is form a network of support, Mm -hmm. just like we did with the ladies who would get together for lunch. So that would be some of my advice that I would give. Let's reflect on what we just heard. Rebecca, what do you think about Valerie Oberly's greatest adversity? You know, listening to Valerie and the story and what she went through back then and being the first, I really wish I knew her back then because as a woman, as a female leader, um, it was hard. And the things she talks about, I don't want to say they, they've gotten better. They have, and there's more awareness to it. But I wish I had someone like Valerie as a mentor back then to say, this is what you do. This is how you handle it. You're going to get through this and that kind of thing, you know? I do know, and I consider myself very lucky that I had the opportunity to learn from her directly. And, and I just want to also add that I think there's a natural instinct for young people and all of us to take things for granted. So if you want to believe that everyone has equal access to opportunities, then you have to recognize that this access was not always there and people had to endure the challenges so that they could provide the opportunities for the people who came after them. And that's what this means to me. Our guest is Valerie Oberly, and when we come back, she'll share some insights from her greatest accomplishment. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Leadership Life Stories. I'm JB Adams. My co-host is Rebecca Morgan, and our guest is Valerie Oberly former vice president of Disney University and the current CEO of the Oberly Group. We will head back into the interview, but before we do, we want to set some context. Yeah, this segment is called The Greatest Accomplishment, and we use this topic to let our guests tell us what's most important to them. So in our response, you're going to hear Valerie Oberly mention a few people and things. Such as? Judson Green. Who was what, Rebecca? He was the president of Walt Disney Parks and Resorts. Okay, we're also going to hear about performance excellence, which was what? The company-wide initiative that took place in parks and resorts in the 1990s and is still referred to as an excellent example of cultural transformation. We're also going to hear about Michael Eisner, who was what? It's like a quiz, JB. It he is. was the CEO of the Walt Disney Company from 1984 to 2005. I think that covers all the context setting. Valerie didn't mention this directly, but she's describing an organization that was already successful and subsequently became more successful. But I think what I would like the listeners to know is that she's describing the early revenue models for what would eventually become the Disney Institute as we know it today. And as we jump into this interview, the next thing you'll hear is Valerie Oberly describing her definition of success. Success to me is not about money, not about position. It's not about your big house or any of that stuff. It's more about personal satisfaction, knowing that you have made a difference in somebody's life, whether it's at work, as a volunteer, with your family. But it's really about making a difference in life and how you feel about that. Valerie, when you think of success, what is one accomplishment that comes to mind? My 
greatest accomplishment, I think, was work-based and was based on a number of diff- different factors. But to give you a little bit of the backstory, when Judson Green became president of Walt Disney World and launched a new concept for the growth, um, growth and accountability of our management staff called Performance Excellence, there was something that he said, and I'll link it back to Michael. He said to us, if you have something new you want to do, a new way to do business better, a new way to take care of our guests, a new creative idea, new way to make money, a new way to take care of our cast members. If you're thinking about those new things and you felt like you couldn't bring them up before, um, now is the time because Michael had said, kick open those doors of creativity. So I thought, okay, I get it. Well, I was beyond excited because our team at Disney University Professional Development Programs had tossed around some ideas on some new revenue streams. And we were already doing pretty well, making money and contributing incremental room nights to the company. Our seminar programs were successful and we were adding more, but we thought we we could do more. So I'd heard Judson talk about Disneyland Paris and how they put some things together and how they engage their team to come up with ideas or solutions, whatever it might be. And he called them a charrette. And it's basically where you gather a whole group of different people with different perspectives and talents in the same room, feed them well, lock the door and don't let them out till the end of the day. And we all kind of laughed about that. And I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So put together a list of about 25 people plus all of my managers. I wish I could have had the entire team there. And I had just a variety of brains, some devil's advocates, not everybody who just liked me and was rah-rah. And I really wanted some, some good ideas. So I laid the foundation. We had flip charts all around the room. Everybody introduced each other. We did a little team building thing. And then I said, okay, here we go. We have the chance to create a new revenue stream with our programs. And no idea is a dumb idea. And so I want you to break into groups. So get up, move around, move around into tables where you don't know somebody quite as well, or you've always wanted to get to know them better. Anyway, flip charts all around the room. I said, okay, now at your table, just start brainstorming good ideas, dumb ideas, outlandish ideas, ways that we, professional development programs, and the company can make additional revenue. That's why we're here, right? So people talked and yapped and laughed. And at the end of the day, each group said, pick out what you think are the you know top five best ideas so we could cull them down. So they did that. Now, each group is going to select a presenter and present your ideas. And so they did. And so we came away after all the voting. At the end of the day, we had seven really powerful new ideas, we thought, to make revenue, additional revenue. So we took those ideas and we formed some subcommittees around them of all these different people. And they met every week or so to flesh it out. Met with Mark, our finance manager, so he could help them put together a budget to present. What will it cost to do it? What resources do you need? And how much money can you make? So that was definitely part of it. When you say the word present, you mean in anticipation of presenting to Judson. Oh, yes, yes. Thank you. Yes, we, um, I said at the beginning, we were going to present these ideas to Judson Green. So they all knew okay. we were going to the president to present them. 
Well, the day before our presentation to Judson in the boardroom at the big uh, Team Disney building, they were all gathered. They somehow thought I was going to present it all. No. Um, And I had made the decision. I wanted them to present because they were the ones that put all this hard work behind these concepts and drew all these creative flip charts. So we're getting ready for rehearsal. And I said, okay, you know, here's a switcheroo. Um, You all are going to present. I'm not going to present. Whoa, what? No, no. Yes, you are. You're going to present. And I said, okay, we've got an hour. Rehearse and add to your charts if you need to. But we're not doing the typical overhead projector PowerPoint thing. So we met the next day. Um, at the conference room and everybody that was on the initial team was there. We lined the walls and then the presenters were all at the conference table and Judson, he knew he had a meeting with me, but he didn't know what to expect. So when he walked in the room, he went, wow, you brought everybody. He had such beautiful reaction and they were all like, Um, the energy in the room was just so incredible. And I was like a proud mom. And I probably had tears then. I, I'm, I'm sure I did. I'm just joy. So we started with the first one, the flip charts. Judson sat there and watched them. And he just thought, oh, God, this is so cool. Wow. And he, he couldn't have given better feedback. But he asked some tough questions, too. Well, how would this really work? And if you really did this, would it end up being this? And, okay, that's good. Okay, that's good. Okay, what's next? He was beside himself with um, excitement. He even called his secretary and delayed his uh, next meeting so he could spend as much time as he needed to with us, even though we kept each one you know, down to like 10 yeah, to 15 that's minutes. that's signal when the executive says, hold yeah. all my calls. Yeah, 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 for sure. So we made all the presentations and it all just went beyond incredibly well. And Judson was so excited and he said okay and what is this going to cost me and mark our finance manager had lots of credibility love this guy and he had the final chart and this is what it's going to cost we have to invest you know i don't know one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to do this that and the other and he said okay you got it do it go do it put it together now put these together and and just make these things happen and keep me posted i want to know what works so the team was overjoyed and we had a big celebration. And I said, okay, get to work. We got it now. Now we've really got to nail this down. But we uh, then really knuckled down and fleshed out each one of the concepts. So we did focus on the custom customized programs. Those are still huge. And the keys to Disney success, which we partnered with uh, Chambers of mm-hmm. Commerce with and delivered a one-hour Disney message. And it brought people back to the parks. That was a hard sell because it didn't involve incremental room nights. We had to prove that it generated revenue. And it did. It very much did. So that became such a winner. And we expanded our friend network supporting what we were doing. And within a three-year period, we quadrupled the revenue of Disney professional development programs. Mm -hmm. So that was successful. And my team was so excited. They all learned, they all grew, and they were the ones that did it. I was just there facilitating it and helping them to make it happen. So that really was, uh, I feel that was just one of our best accomplishments because it involved 
people from across the property who became real advocates for what we were doing. And it, it had impact in, in many, many different ways. I love this story. There's so many nuggets in it. What's a lesson that the rest of us can apply from this story? Oh, gosh. I would say probably the biggest lesson is involve your people. Involve people even beyond your little box. Ask the smart people that you admire if they would participate in brainstorming about your business. Ask their opinion. They're so much smarter than you could be as one brain. The collective opinion, perspective, and the naysayers. I, you know, I want those, I hate that term, but I want the people in with, with different perspectives that will say, well, I don't know if that, that's really right. How about this? How about that? Better decisions always come from involving your people. Okay, Rebecca, let's reflect on what we just heard there with the greatest accomplishment. What did you think about that? I absolutely love what Valerie shared in reminding us to involve your people. No one knows better about what is going on in the business and what customers need than your people. And as leaders, if we are not tapping into that, we are totally missing out on so many opportunities. Yeah, this is what got my attention. Um, First of all, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but I just want to add, she described the events of a single day, a single moment in time, and everything that happened after that. And that was an interesting choice for an accomplishment because I thought, well, it wasn't the long-term thing. It was just a little moment in time, but it makes sense because that particular day, that moment in time launched the careers of many of the people who were present in that room. And it also launched the careers of people who were not even present in that room. I benefited from it. You benefited from it. Mm -hmm. Many people we know benefited from it. And that's what I call a long lasting legacy that any leader can be proud of. Our guest is Valerie Oberly. And when we come back, she will share with us her best advice for leaders. So please stay with us. Welcome back to Leadership Life Stories. I'm Rebecca Morgan. My co-host is J.B. Adams, and our guest is Valerie Oberly, former vice president of Disney University and current CEO of the Oberly Group. So you left Disney in 1997. Tell us what you're doing now. Oh, my goodness. So many things that are um, exciting and interesting to me. My goal all the time is to grow and learn and try new things, both professionally and personally. Spencer and I enjoy travel. We love working together on business projects. And we have had a number of clients really from all over the world. I'm mentoring a number of people. I've got a couple of clients I'm doing executive coaching with, which is really, really fun. I feel like I still have so much to contribute to the growth of other people. Valerie, with the kind of work that you're doing now in mind, what advice do you have for leaders? Uh, I think leaders need to be very aware, self-aware, aware of their talents and skills, what they're really good at doing and what they should capitalize on. Certainly be aware of their needs uh, for development. But if you focus more on those talents and growing them, not ignoring the weaknesses, getting those up to par, but focus on the talents, you're going to achieve more. Surround yourself with really smart leaders that can balance you out. So if you are highly creative and flexible and um, talented, extroverted, extroverted, (laughs) then you kind of need someone 
uh, who works closely with you. And that's why Spencer and I work so well together, because he's the opposite of me and others that you work with to kind of shore you up so that you can be the best you can be and not feel like, oh, my God, I'm failing because I didn't do this particular thing right. Excellent. Uh, Excellent advice for any one of us as a leader. Um, Valerie, we're about to wrap up our time. As you think about what has brought all of us together, the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, what is it that you are reflecting on? What would you like to share with our listeners? I have given that some thought because this is a really powerful anniversary, 50 years. Wow. I mean, we were all kids when we started. And I've got various groups I've worked with uh, that were having reunions and that we've stayed connected with. So as I reflect on that, there's something else that comes to mind that uh, is a practice that I learned and, and tried to have. And that was going treasure hunting. And I think I was a result of various people believing in me and thinking, okay, she works hard. She's got a good attitude. She gets the Disney thing. Maybe she could be the hotel operations manager at the Polynesian Hotel. Who knew? Um, or VP of the Disney University. So translating that as a leader and thinking about the 50th anniversary, I'm going to be surrounded by the kind of people that I thought that about, that thought that about me. It's the treasure that each of us possesses that can make a difference with other individuals. So I'm beyond excited to get back to Orlando and see people and get to the parks and see all the changes and the hotels. I I can hardly wait. Well, I just want to say, as far as we're concerned, you're a treasure. And Valerie Oberly, thank you so much for joining us here on Leadership Life Stories and sharing your story. Thank you. Jimmy, let's take a moment to reflect. You know, I know you have worked with Valor before and you know her way better than I do. So what are some key takeaways from our conversation we just had with her? Yeah, Rebecca, I just want to conclude by saying uh, Valerie Oberly is one of my role model Disney leaders. And so as a leader, if you can find a way to show people that you care and give them opportunities that bring out their treasure then I believe that there's a chance that you can develop a very loyal, almost cult-like following that makes a difference in the world and people's lives. And with that, I would just like to say thank you, Rebecca Morgan, for being my co-host. Thank you, JB. And thank you for introducing us to Valerie. She truly is a treasure with all her wisdoms. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. You can find Leadership Life Stories and all other Victor Media Group podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Leadership Life Stories was created by J.B. Adams and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell. Today's episode was co-hosted by Rebecca Morgan and J.B. Adams. Sound design by Michael Orlowski. Mixing and editing by Manny Simone. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, Follow us at Victor Media Group on your favorite social media platform. This is JB Adams, and until next time, remember, if you can dream it, you can do it.